They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Uh, it's working for me, so no worries on that front. Well, let's just cut this. Hey, how's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Jones at the Movies. Uh, I just want to start by saying that our father, uh, that's my and Nathan's biological father, not the one who art in heaven, has been very upset with the lack of mention that he's been getting on this podcast compared to his, his wife. So I just want to state for the record that Nathan and I do have a father. He's a man. Uh, he has an endoskeleton. Uh, he has a goatee. He watches the occasional movie and reads the occasional book. And uh, I think that's about the sum of his character, right, Nathan? Uh, that's about all I ever tell people when I relate his... That's interesting that he took issue with it. I mean, it's not like we bring up... I guess we do bring up Mama Ton. She's just more in our lives more, you know? He's kind of an absent father more than anything else. Wow, that is... <laughs> yeah well enough enough about my underlying father issues let's talk let's let's fill that void with film yeah pop culture will be the nurturing uh strong male figure that we never had at home yep so uh we decided it would be kind of fun if every 10 episodes we would do a special episode so 10 episodes ago we did getting to know the magellans where we took some questions from you the audience and answered them so you could get to know us a bit that went over swimmingly so now we are doing our next one i've had a few people request that we do favorite movies but we decided that talking about our favorite movies would be too much like a regular episode where we're just talking about movies. So we decided instead that we would be doing uh, favorite directors. So that's what we're going to be doing in this episode. We're going to talk about our favorite directors. Each of us brought five, and we're going to, I think, for each director, we're going to recommend our favorite film by those directors uh, that you should check out. So recommendations will be interspersed throughout the entirety of the episode if you're looking for them or listening for them auditorily but yeah so that's what we're doing today so if you don't want to listen to that i guess do something else <laughs> if you do uh here we go elliot get us started you said you wanted to start with honorable mentions so start us off with some honorable mentions yep uh so i've said to nathan that i want to start us off with some honorable mentions so i'm just going to go ahead and start us off with some honorable mentions uh, just going to run through these very quickly and give you some of the great movies that these people have made. But uh, so Kathleen, or not, good Lord. I almost said Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, <laughs> Catherine Bigelow. I've seen three movies of hers, uh, Detroit, Zero Dark Thirty, and The Hurt Locker. All of those are good to great. Milos Foreman, I've seen 
One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is fantastic, and Amadeus, which is not quite as good, but still really good, definitely worth watching. Uh, Sidney Lumet, who we've talked about 12 Angry Men on the podcast, that's great, but also Dog Day Afternoon and Network, two fantastic movies, I would strongly recommend them. Uh, and just just to give the ladies another another shout out, Greta Gerwig, uh, Lady Bird, and her version of Little Women. I really enjoyed both of those. So those are my honorable mentions. Nathan, do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, I do. I would first. I would second all of those honorable mentions that you had. All of those people did not make my list, mostly because they don't have that many movies that I've seen. I feel like five is my number where I try to see five movies for a director before I really consider them in uh, the conversation for one of the greatest of all time. But I'm sure Greta Gerwig is going to land on there eventually. Barbie looks absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I might so, rent that one instead of going to see it in oh, the I'll theater. Double- no, that's a double feature for sure. Oppenheimer, Barbie. That's the double feature of the decade. <laughs> no, so I would second all of those. I would also honorable mention Abbas Kiristami, who is an Iranian film director who only died a couple years ago, but he had a lot of art house movies in the 90s and 2000, 2000s into the 2010s. And I just think he is really fantastic with what he does in terms of what the limits of film are and how he plays with the limits of film in his movies. And I would put him in my favorite directors of all time, but Elliot has not seen any of his movies, so we can't really talk about it. But he's fantastic. And if you have seen any of his movies, please come and have dinner with me so we can talk about him. I I would also put... Um, Masaki Kobayashi, very fantastic Japanese director who I've only seen five of his movies, but they're all really fantastic. Harakiri, The Samurai Rebellion, and then three films that make up The Human Condition, which is a really fantastic series. Yorgos Lanthimos, who directed one of my favorite movies of all time, The Lobster, as well as The Favorite, which is very good, and The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which continues to grow on me despite being very weird. And then uh, for my last shout-out, I just want to say Ingmar Berkman is a very fantastic Danish film director who made a lot of really impressive humanistic films well into, I want to say, the 80s, I believe. Just really good movies about people dealing with people problems. So those are all great directors. (laughs) Elliot shaking his head. He does not approve of my honorable mentions. <laughs> They're all very pretentious. I know. I'm, I'm aware of how pretentious. I try to keep it not pretentious, but I, I watch pretentious movies. And then I enjoy them, which is not good. All right. Harakiri is great, I, though. Harakiri is really good. It's very fantastic. And people should watch it. So, Elliot... Let's uh, let's get started. Let's do your first director. Let's uh, let's get started with the episode. All right, let's get started with the episode then. So I'm gonna get started with the episode here, uh, and I'm going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go with the the kind of the low hanging fruit, 
with Steven Spielberg. He's a living legend, but, you know, he's a legend for a reason. I don't think any of his movies would crack my top five, but so many of them change the face of movies. I mean, Jurassic Park was revolutionary for its uh, CGI and its practical effects, the combination of those, and Jurassic Park is fantastic. Schindler's List is the movie that I typically say is like the best, as in like the most high quality, objectively high quality movie out there. I mean, there's nothing that can be said about Schindler's List that hasn't already been said. Uh, it's devastating and somewhat hopeful. It it's it's a true masterpiece. Uh, Indiana Jones, of course, is. It's just so much fun. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Last Ark, Last Crusade. I don't despise Temple of Doom. I know a lot of people dislike it, but uh, I've always found it fairly inoffensive. Uh, we're not going to talk about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> Yikes. But Jaws is great. Saving Private Ryan is great. Yeah, Steven Spielberg. He's He's got so many classics. So many movies mm. that came to define a genre and his visual style, it's distinct without ever really taking over the conversation, I think. Like, the the style of Wes Anderson movies are always at the forefront of the discussions around his movies, or at least they usually open them. Uh, but Spielberg, who has a very impressive eye for the technical elements of movie making, I feel like he's a lot more of a chameleon, you know? Sort of like uh, one of the things that I appreciate about Damien Chazelle as a filmmaker is that none of his movies have a really... All of his movies have very distinct, very distinct uh, cinematography and lighting. They all look appropriate for the story that's being told. And I think Spielberg does that as well, very well. And, uh, yeah, I know that Nathan has sort of fallen off the Spielberg wagon uh, with his more recent releases. Uh, I confess that I have not seen most of his recent releases. Like, what would the most recent movie of his that I've seen be? Um, wow, I don't... Bridge of Spies? You watched that, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty good. Yeah, probably Bridge of Spies, because, yeah, you haven't seen The Post or West Side Story. No, or Ready Player One. Well, I haven't seen Ready Player One. <laughs> I do I do have to agree. Uh, firstly, I would agree that I, uh, I respect Steven Spielberg for what he did in the past. I feel like he's maybe a bit past his prime, personally. Although I'm, I am still excited to see his movie that comes out this year, so I'm kind of a hypocrite in that sense. But I do have to respect Spielberg for, I mean, at the dawn of the 90s, he was pretty much known for fairly basic sort of action movies. Not basic, but, you know, Jurassic Park, Jaws, E.T. He had a very concrete style, and then he spent the entire 90s just going nuts on that one style. And it's where a lot of his best movies, I think, were made. 
as well as where I think he would enter into the conversation for the best directors of all time, where it, you know, with Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, he really strayed from what he had been doing before and made some really fantastic movies. So I don't agree with the pick, but I respect, I respect the pick, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. That's great, Nathan. It's you're too, so it's, cool. It's, you're so hipster. You're so fringe. You're so edgy. You're you're so great for going against the mainstream. Good job, you. Let's all give him a hand. Thanks. Hopefully everyone's clapping for me now. Yeah, so right, if with- you want my Spielberg, my ultimate Spielberg recommendation, I think my favorite movie is, of his is definitely Jurassic Park. So if you somehow haven't already seen Jurassic Park, you absolutely should. And if you've already seen it, just rewatch it, man. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. All right, well, then I'll start with my pick, and it's not going to help me beat the allegations of being a pretentious snob. It's uh, Akira Kurosawa, iconic Japanese filmmaker who made movies from, I believe, the 30s all the way into the 80s, I want to say. He was still making movies in the 80s, but he's just a really phenomenal director and really was the template for so many people and what they would go on to do that watching his movies is such a treat because you get to see this window into what influenced some of your favorite movies. Like if you love star Wars, you can watch the hidden fortress and there's the opening to star Wars. Like there's the template for what George Lucas would use in star Wars. You, if you love Westerns, you can see his old samurai movies and there's, the template there's what it was for a lot of people they consider seven samurai one of his movies that was then remade into the magnificent seven and then remade 18 million times by <laughs> the guy who makes clone wars Dave, Dave Filoni. Filoni. yeah but the seven samurai is widely considered the first action movie or one of the first action movies and Yeah, I just think Kurosawa is a really fantastic director and makes very, even though they're foreign movies, which I think can sometimes put people off, I think all of his movies are so easily accessible that what makes them good is they're funny, they're exciting, they're cool, they're just a really enjoyable watch. So that's that's why I love Kurosawa. I think he's one of the greats. Yeah, I... I don't know. I feel like I just never found the right Kurosawa movie for me. I've seen Seven Samurai, which is pretty good, but uh, I felt like it was extremely long because it is extremely long. Um, Hidden Fortress, I liked more for the novelty of just seeing the Star Wars DNA, or maybe it'd be more accurate to say recognizing the Hidden Fortress DNA in Star Wars. But yeah. the movie itself, I don't, I don't think is like all that special. Uh, the bad sleep well is pretty good, um, just a little hard to follow. Yeah, I, I feel like I just never really, I never really, never really had the chance when I still had HBO Max to get to his, uh, you know, his his best movies uh, that were on there. Cause I never saw Yojimbo 
which I'm told is very good. And but yeah, I, he's a really I, I I definitely respect him as a filmmaker. Um, I like samurai movies, uh, and I, I like westerns, so I really I enjoy seeing the again recognizing the samurai DNA that's in western movies and Akira Kurosawa he definitely does samurai movies very well so yeah I, I'm sorry that I can't give a, a resounding um second on this one uh it's not because I think he's bad it's just because I don't think I think I don't have enough experience of him uh yet you know I I'm, I'm still Yojimbo still on my list I'm still open to Kurosawa movies so yeah, what's your what's your ultimate Kurosawa recommendation? My ultimate Kurosawa recommendation, Yojimbo is extremely good, and if you want just a fun movie, Yojimbo is incredible. But the one I was going to do was his late years masterpiece, an adaptation of King Lear by Shakespeare. It's Ran, which is just a fantastic movie about like a lot of Shakespeare's plays it's about corruption of power and the corruption of the idea of power and yeah everything that's good about Kurosawa his framing of action scenes his incredible amount of extras that I don't understand how he was able to both have that many extras and then use them in very effective ways uh it's all here and ran it's a fantastic movie and I think it's his best so ran it was on amazon prime for a while i don't know if it's still there but people should watch it because it's really good and it's a lot of fun so that's my akira kurosawa recommendation elliot what's your second director second director okay let me consult my list here and also, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong. This is in no particular order, right? These are just five directors. Oh, I, I'm like. I'm going from like the bottom up, so I'm working my way oh, towards I'm, my favorite director. Oh, I'm not doing that. So don't. I'm not doing that. Okay. Well, my fourth favorite director is Denis okay. Villeneuve. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, in case you didn't hear me when Nathan was making noises when he shouldn't be, I said Denis Villeneuve. Uh, movies of his that I have seen are Enemy, that's terrible. Um, Incendies, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, just ignore Enemy. <laughs> uh, Incendies is pretty good. Oh, gosh. Sicario, pretty good. Although, you know, very strange. Uh, when we... When we start hitting the masterpieces, we're talking prisoners. That's great. One of the most depressing, bleak movies I've ever seen, but absolutely incredible. Arrival. Fantastic, heady science fiction. I think one of the best examples of the show-don't-tell rule uh, in movies. Our parents really didn't like it, but that's just because they're not very smart and they didn't understand the twist and how awesome it was. But the twist is awesome. And just a really good exploration of both thematic ideas, but also like just the the practical side of what would happen if aliens actually came to Earth and didn't immediately start shooting at things. So really good 
uh, alien movie, if you want something about aliens that's more in the realm of, uh, what's it called, Stargate, that's about that's less about action and more about ideas. Blade Runner 2049, that's one of my favorite movies, just period. It looks incredible. Uh, Roger Deakins is shooting the heck out of this movie. Special effects are awesome. Uh, great performances. I don't care what anyone says. I think that Ryan Gosling's performance is great. I think it's just the right amount of restrained and mellow. And it makes the moments where he does break and show emotion really powerful. So I would call it restrained more than I would call it one note, but that's enough of me <laughs> exercising my uh, Blade Runner 2049 criticism demons. Oh, gosh. Am I missing something? Dune. He made Dune recently. Uh, Nathan, I know, does not like that movie very much. I think it's a really good, strong start. Um, I think it'll. my ultimate opinion on it is probably going to be decided by the second part, but I'm very confident in it. Uh, yeah, I think that he's really found his niche with heady, grand science fiction stories. Ever since I watched Blade Runner 2049, every time I've heard about a new movie of his or uh, an old movie of his that I haven't seen yet, it's immediately gone on my list of to watch. And yeah, my, my ultimate recommendation for him is obviously Blade Runner 2049. I think it's a great movie, great mystery, fantastic character study. Not Maybe not character study, but... It really goes all in on its themes about what constitutes reality, what it means to be human. Very big ideas, but that are communicated really well. Uh, there, the action is pretty sparse, but when it when it does hit, it hits hard. <laughs> one of one of the things that uh, I remember most about watching the the movie in theaters is there's a part where. Uh, the main character, Kay, dispatches a thug in particularly brutal fashion, and it legitimately made me gasp in the theater. <laughs> oh, it's great. That is, yeah, you did gasp, because I remember, and every time I see Kay do that in the movie, it takes me back to hearing you just go, oh! <laughs> yeah, so, Blender 249 is great. I would agree. I also think Blade Runner 2049 is a stone-cold masterpiece, and I think Arrival gets better every time I watch it. I would just also add, I do not like Dune. I feel like every critique that people levy against Blade Runner 2049 is even more true for Dune, but I do think Denis Villeneuve is very good. He's in my top ten directors of all time. And I would also say his early movie, Polytechnique, is a very good film. It's really interesting, and I think more people should watch it. It's a really early film of his, but like Christopher Nolan's first movie that I think Elliot brought up a couple weeks ago, Following, it's a student. It's clearly a student film, but it's like actually competent and good, which is a rarity amongst student films by famous directors. So... Good pick, Elliot. Uh, my next pick, my next favorite director, in no particular order still, is uh, Billy Wilder, who was an old Hollywood director, I want to say 
50s to 70s was when he was sort of making movies. He started out as a screenwriter, and it is very apparent. His movies are so, so well-written. I mean, it just flawlessly written films. They're so funny. They're exciting. They are very clever. It's just, uh, it's like poetry listening to these characters talk. But I really think what makes Billy Wilder amazing is he's just the encapsulation of everything that was good about that sort of era about of Hollywood. He makes very interesting morality plays. His movies, very wildly between movies that have a happy ending and really earn it, which I think was a rarity at the time, and movies that have a sad ending and also earn that sad ending, which was, again, sometimes they would just kill the main character for no reason. So his movies are really fantastic. I see a lot of his DNA. I say this a lot. I haven't had anyone (laughs) push back on it. But I think, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, a lot of the early, like, really good Disney movies are cut from the same cloth as Billy Wilder movies, that they're just really well-written, they're very simple. He had a quote that one person is an idiot, two people is two idiots, a theater full of people is your audience, that he was like, I'm aware that I have to make popular movies, and so he made popular movies that are also very good. Uh, To talk about some of these movies, The Apartment is one of the best movies of all time. I love it to pieces. Sunset Boulevard is an iconic film for a lot of very good reasons. Some Like It Hot is just really funny, which again, a lot of these old movies are not super funny. The humor has not aged fantastically, but I think Some Like It Hot is just as funny as when it came out. Um, Ace in the Hole is a really fantastic movie with a really fantastic Kirk Douglas performance. He's got other movies. Witness for the Prosecution is really good. Yeah, all of his movies, even his worst movie, which I think is probably Sabrina or Witness for the Prosecution, is still a ton of fun and is still just an enjoyable watch. I mean, at the end of the day, his movies are just so fun to watch. This is a director who I do not have a lot of experience with. I've only seen, I'm pretty sure I've only seen The Apartment, right? And Witness for the Prosecution, you saw that. You didn't think much of it. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I didn't think much of it because I didn't even think of it right there. But uh, I really enjoyed The Apartment. I would echo everything that Nathan said as it relates to The Apartment. Uh, Very funny, very well-written The dialogue is really snappy. He's sort of like, in terms of dialogue, I would say he's sort of like, what are you doing? I'm just nodding. I'm like, yes, amen. The apartment is so good. (laughs) You were were nodding like, you know, like an old woman in church who's really getting into the sermon. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Uh, Yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. He's sort of like an old-timey Tarantino in the way that he writes dialogue and the pace that it's delivered in. Uh, I think that Tarantino, this is this is not related to anything, but I think that Tarantino gets a lot more indulgent in his dialogue than Billy Wilder does. Um, the characters in that movie are all not necessarily like super complex, 
but they're all really charismatic uh, and re- very empathetic. They're all very human. I mean, they're instantly sympathetic, except for the, you know, complete tools, uh, who are <laughs> very effectively communicated as complete tools. So Billy Wilder is definitely a director that I want to learn more about uh, based on what I've seen. And, you know, Witness for the Prosecution, I didn't think it was bad or anything. Uh, it's just it's not as good as The Apartment. But yeah, it's definitely one that he's definitely one that I want to see more of. Uh, and I imagine that the more movies of his that I watch, the more I will come to appreciate uh, Na- his inclusion on Nathan's list. So Nathan, I think you once again forgot to give your ultimate Billy Wilder recommendation. Well, I'm trying I'm trying to give my recommendation here. So then it's a transition instead of you responding and then you going to your next. So it's, there's a bit more back and forth is why I've been not, I've been neglecting that. Wow. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. (laughs) We like to bring the listener into our creative process. (laughs) Um, Well, I would, I would say the apartment. I mean, I think it's a stone cold masterpiece, just like Blade Runner 2049. Every time I watch it, I think it's even funnier and more amazing. And it just, it has a lot going on behind the scenes that I think you appreciate more on rewatches. So, yeah. Also, we should watch, I'm coming home this weekend, we should watch Ace in the Hole, because I really think that you would enjoy that quite a bit. And it's a very good film. Okay, let's not make plans on company time. All right, whatever. Elliot, what's your next director? (laughs) Okay, so we're now on my third favorite director, and that is the man, the myth, the legend, David Fincher. We've already Mm. reviewed uh, a Fincher movie, Sesevenven. This is one of three... So there are two directors who have, like, a filmography that's above, like, three, that I've actually seen all of them, and Fincher is one of them, so... Pulled up the list here. Alien Cubed, Sesevenven, uh, Panic Room, Fight Club, The Game, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Ugh, The Social Network, <laughs> The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Gone Girl, and Mank. So I really enjoy most of those. Uh, Alien <laughs> Cubed is fine. Uh, it's definitely the worst of the Alien trilogy. I know that Nathan likes it for some stupid reason. Sesevenven is fantastic. Panic Room is really good. Fight Club, I I don't really see why people love that movie, but I I respect it for what it is. The game I really enjoy, although its ending is bonkers. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is awful. The Social Network is really good. Uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is really unlike his other movies, because... So the thing that defines Fincher movies is definitely their tone, their atmosphere. It's always very gritty and dark, uh, which I, I'm personally on board for. But The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is just this weirdly like introspective movie about aging and youth. Uh, it's, it's weird, but it's pretty good. I would, I would recommend it. Gone Girl is fantastic. Mank, I know, Nathan, you like that movie a lot more than I do. I think it's pretty good, but, again, not really like his other movies. I definitely respect it for how well it captures the look and feel of an old movie. 
Like it is, it is shot and framed and lit and acted like an old Hollywood movie. So the way that he captured that aesthetic, I think, is spot on. Uh, yeah, Fincher movies are all well, not all. A lot of Fincher's movies are really good. Uh, he has a great eye, or not? Yeah, he, he does have a great eye for camera work. Um, I love the way that his movies are all lit. The coloring and the lighting sort of combine to create this sickly yellow hue in a lot of his movies that I think is pitch perfect for the types of movies that they're lighting and coloring. Yeah, unlike Spielberg, I think Fincher definitely has a genre that he doesn't stray from. Not Maybe not a genre, but a certain type of movie that he strays from a lot less often. But he does that so well. Uh, thrillers. He does thrillers really well. And even when he, you know, when he branches out in movies like The Social Network or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, I think he's shown that he he still brings his same style to them, but uh, they're still great movies. Like, I know you love The Social Network. I think it's really good as well. I'm not 100% sure. Have you seen Benjamin Button? Yeah, I've also seen all of his movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, he had a long stint as a director of music videos, none of which I've seen, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, that doesn't count. But yeah, I think that his movies are all... Well, gosh, I'm just repeating myself. I think his movies are great, and I think they're... Oh, Zodiac! I forgot to mention Zodiac. For some reason, it wasn't on the list. Zodiac is a great movie. I think that his characters are all... I don't know. It's hard to explain. His characters are all are all really good and well developed, and they have often very similar outlooks um, and sort of dispositions. But he does that, or at least his writers do that, without making them feel cliche. Like there's definitely a David Fincher protagonist, but. I would not use that as a pejorative uh, to imply that his protagonists are all all feel the same because I think they're all very distinct. But uh, yeah, he uses them to tell stories that are usually about probing like the depths of human depravity, uh, which is typically grim. It's yeah, it's it's. Very few of his movies are pleasant watching, necessarily, uh, or pleasant in the traditional sense, but I I really enjoy them. I think that he does it without uh, letting it get suffocating. In fact, the reason that I dislike Fight Club and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is because I think that's where Fincher lets his Fincherisms get away from him, and the nihilism and the bleakness just totally overwhelms and drowns out anything else the movie has to offer, at which point it does become a very unpleasant experience. So I would not recommend any of those, but uh, yeah. So, Nathan, say some things about David Fincher before I give my ultimate Fincher recommendation. Wow, good. Uh, just for the record, we did uh, 
collaborate when making our lists. Otherwise, Fincher would land on my list as a director that I think is really fantastic for a lot of the reasons that Elliot said. I mean, he's got a very distinctive style, even in his movies where, yeah, he's kind of straying from just a thriller or just a bleak, depressing slog or something. Uh, he, You can still tell when his movies are like that. I do like Alien 3. I personally feel like divorced from having like if you had just seen alien and aliens and you were a huge fan of the franchise i can see why alien 3 would upset you but i watched them casually and i'm not a diehard alien fan so i thought it was actually kind of interesting and then yeah i like me quite a bit so i would definitely agree i think david fincher is a fantastic director i'm so excited for his next movie that he's gonna do and yeah he's one of the best working for sure Elliot, what's your what's your recommendation? <laughs> okay, so my ultimate recommendation, my true ultimate recommendation for Fincher would definitely be Seven, since we've already talked about that uh, and given it uh, a glowing review. I'm going to give you my second most ultimate Fincher recommendation, which is probably going to be Gone Girl. Yeah, I know Nathan really yeah. likes Gone Girl, and I do too. Um, it's- this is definitely a thriller. Uh, it's, whew, it is bleak. It is very, very bleak. My mother despises this movie. She never mentioned Gone Girl to her ever, or she will give you the entire story of how she watched it and what she dislikes about it. You know, it's just not for her, and that's that's fine. I understand that. Um, but yeah, it it is for me. I I think it's it's great. I'm trying not to give too much away. It's like a thriller, mis- not necessarily a mystery. It's kind of like a character study in two halves, where the first half is a character study of the husband, and the second half is a character study of the wife. And it's really well-paced in its reveals. I think that it's got a fantastic like second-act rug pull when it reveals more about uh, Amy as a character, and it manages to make that narrative shift without feeling, without making the rest of the movie feel disparate. It's not jarring. And uh, yeah, it's got Fincher's traditional visual style and his color palette, all that's here. So yeah, that's, uh, it's definitely peak Fincher. For sure. I, yeah, I love Gone Girl to Pieces. And I think the movie, yeah, mom spoiled the, the day after she saw it, she spoiled, she told me the entire story. And then two years later, I was getting in, more into film and I was like, oh, I like Fincher so much. I should watch this movie. And I was just floored. I was amazed that they didn't like it. I, it's so, it's really good. But yeah, it's a nasty movie. It's not, I think. Fincher said somewhere that he makes that he thinks people who are fans of his movies are perverts, and I feel like Gone Girl is definitely in that uh, camp, unfortunately. But it's a really fan. I really like. Huh? What does that make him as the author of this perversion? <laughs> he's just a guy. He's just some dude. I don't know. I'm just putting I it out there. I don't of- like it or not, you know that's not up to me. I'm just putting it out there. Ugh. Whatever, Fincher. <laughs> Shut up. Let me let me like you without feeling guilty. Yeah. 
So I would second Fincher and I would second the recommendation of Gone Girl. Just don't watch it with like your family or something. All right. So now uh, it's my turn. I'm going to go with a person who I think is kind of an old uh, Fincher for the old days. And that is Stanley Kubrick. He's an iconic director, made movies from, I want to say, like the 60s into the 90s, something like that. I'm giving the time period of all these directors, which Elliot's not doing, but I think is interesting. But, (laughs) yeah, uh, Kubrick is a fantastic director. He's regularly listed among one of the greatest. And I think what makes him deserve that spot and what makes him deserve this spot in my list for me is just how wide his array of good movies is that he made a classic in almost every genre you can see. And he would look at a genre like horror and he would look at what is the point of this genre? What is the goal of this genre? And he would distill it down into the pure essence and then film that and so he would make movies like the shining which is considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time 2001 space odyssey which is considered one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time and barry linden one of the best period pieces of all time full metal jacket one of the best war movies of all that he would just and he had a way of making all of these genres his own that it it wasn't just a really good horror movie, it was a really good Kubrick movie. And you can tell, much like Fincher, he has a very unemotional, and I think it's it's very much watching the action as opposed to being in the action. He had very much a nihilistic streak like Fincher does. And yeah, I've seen all of his movies except for his like very early like student films, basically. And I think all of them are very good. Even some of my least favorites, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I think is kind of too slow for its own good at times, I still think is a fantastic example of special effects and is a really fun watch for kind of that reason. The Shining is fantastic. Full Metal Jacket is fantastic. Dr. Strangelove is really funny and holds up. And Barry Lyndon is phenomenal as well. He just cannot make a bad movie, except for Eyes Wide Shut, which is not very good. I would I would definitely second this director uh, as a as one of the all time greats. If Nathan hadn't chosen him, he would definitely have been on my list. He's a director that I had to rediscover. Because the first movie of his I watched, I think, was A Clockwork Orange, which I do not care for. Yeah, neither does Nathan. Um, And then I haven't seen all of 2001 because I am so much less forgiving of its slowness than you are. I think that movie is just a slog. I do not care. I've Yes, I have heard that the you know extended periods of nothingness is supposed to get you thinking about the movie and what it's trying to say i don't care the only thing that i can think of when he's flying through the wormhole for 15 
gosh darn minutes is why is this taking 15 gosh darn minutes? That is up there with the the pie eating scene from a ghost story in terms of right. the most the most just fingernails on a chalkboard why is this lasting so long scenes of all time <laughs> but of course so if you like it, you know, that's fine I, it doesn't matter I, you should like what you like uh, as usual <laughs> but yeah and then you know by the by the grace of god I saw his actual good movies, uh, Full Metal Jacket, which I really enjoy, Paths of Glory, that's a fantastic movie, one of his lesser-known movies, I think, so if I could give a Kubrick recommendation, I would definitely say you should watch Paths of Glory, because it's one of his lesser-known movies, and it's just as Kubricky as you could hope for. Um, the Shining, I think, is great. I don't usually like horror movies, but I think... But The Shining is one of the few exceptions to that rule. Um, there, I have like a whole essay about, not actually, but like in my mind, about why I think The Shining works so well. Uh, I won't uh, burden you all with that here. <laughs> you can just go to yeah. my website for that. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. What else? What well, else? Dr. Strange Love. Yes, Dr. Strangelove, that's a great movie, really funny, uh, I think it's fantastic satire, uh, it's so much better than Don't Look Up, I don't know why people think that Dr. Strangelove is, or Don't Look Up is the Dr. Strangelove of our generation, if that's true, that's very sad for our generation. But yeah, is that, a, is that it, is that all I've seen of his? Yep. Yeah. Unless you've seen... One of the ones you haven't seen since I last talked to you. No, I have not seen any other Kubrick since then, although there's a lot of his movies that I want to see, like Barry Lyndon, I really want to see. And yeah, Kubrick, just like Spielberg, I think has is definitely earned his position as one of the, the great legends of this medium. So, what is your ultimate Kubrick recommendation? Uh, mine is, and it's partially for the same reason you would recommend Passive Glory, is Barry Lyndon. I don't think it's underrated per se. I think most people who see it rate it fairly normally, but I do think it's one of the movies that maybe gets brought up less when we're talking about Kubrick and what makes Kubrick fantastic. And I just think there's a movie for anyone in Barry Lyndon's filmography, and I think for anyone who finds his other movies too dreary, I think Barry Lyndon is the one for you. It is a fantastic story. It still has the classic Kubrickian sort of themes and ideas running through it, but it's just so beautifully told. It's a much more human story than I think he typically gets. And there's a scene near the end, there's a duel that I am convinced is one of the greatest scenes in filmmaking history. And it is just purely created by Kubrick's refusal to cut out the minutia of a human experience. And so you get to just see every excruciating detail of this incredibly tense encounter between these two, these two gentlemen. And it's just fantastic. So I think everyone should see Barry Lyndon. It's really good. Although it is very long, but I think it's, it's worth the runtime. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen Barry Lyndon. But moving right along to my second favorite director, and honestly, the the ratings of these these 
last two directors is pretty arbitrary. I think that I would put them both on an equal playing field. But my second favorite slash the director that occupies my favorite, jointly occupies my favorite director spot is the Coen Brothers, which I know <laughs> Nathan is definitely not nearly as on board for what they're doing as I am. And it is hard to explain what exactly it is they're doing because their movies are so, so broad in subject matter that uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to find a through line, uh, among them. So let's, uh, let's read off the ones that I've seen. Uh, well, all their movies. Uh, Lady Killers, I have not seen. Intolerable Cruelty, I have not seen. The Man Who Wasn't There, I have seen. Uh, it's pretty good. It's kind of like a neo-noir. It's like all of their, a lot of their movies. It's really hard to explain what it's about. Uh, and we'll get to that, Nathan. We will get to that element of them. Hudsucker Proxy, I have not seen. Miller's Crossing is a really good, straightforward gangster movie. Uh, it's probably one of their not as Coen Brothers-y Coen Brothers movies. Hail Caesar, uh, I watched for the first time a while ago and didn't really like it. And then when I rewatched it, having gotten more familiar with the Coen Brothers, I liked it quite a bit more. Raising Arizona is great, uh, really funny. True, Gear, True Grit is a great sort of straight arrow western. Inside Lewin Davis, I really like. I think it's fantastic character study. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is very funny. Um, another really good movie. Blood Simple is their first one, which I don't, I don't love. Uh, it's okay. It's just a little bit weird. Burn After Reading is... Shut up, Nathan. Is in the same category. Uh, it's, it's good... Um, I just, I just, I don't know. It's, it's just a bit weird. Uh, a Serious Man, that's fantastic. I really think that you should watch that, Nathan. Um, it's really interesting, a really interesting movie. It's also a character study, but sort of about this guy who's looking for the big answers to life. And I think it has a lot of really interesting stuff to say about, uh, about philosophy just in general and where people find meaning in their lives and how they attribute um, meaning to the things that happen to them. Barton Fink is terrible. Never watch Barton Fink. That movie's awful. Let's not even talk about it. Uh, the Big Lebowski. I know Nathan hates this movie. I think it's really good. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Great anthology of westerns. Um, Fargo's really good. And then No Country for Old Men, obviously, is my favorite movie, uh, period. All right, Nathan. That's enough of that. That's enough of your thumbs down. So, yeah, I think, gosh, it is so hard to explain what I like about the Coen Brothers movies. There's a lot of... I think that they, they use quirkiness... And sort of, not necessarily surrealism, but just normal kinds of, they take, their, their movies are, a lot of their movies are character studies, and they're about normal-ish people 
getting themselves into abnormal situations. Like, I think the overwhelming majority of their movies, the action of the plot is initiated by the main characters themselves. Like, things rarely happen to them, with the obvious exception of a serious man. It's about them making choices and then seeing how, to, how they play out. And they all have these tinges of surrealism that I think are so good at, like, revealing things about uh, the themes that the movies address. So, like, Inside Lewin Davis, I know you don't like that movie very much. I think it's a great character study of somebody who's just stuck in a rut, who is, you know, trying to make something of his life, but is just chained by his obsessions and his addictions and his bad habits. Uh, and I think that it, the movie uses humor and strange, these they're side characters. The Coen brothers, I think, do side characters better than anyone else in the business. And the way that they, they interact is always so much fun, and it's so funny. They do dark humor really well. Um, so like Fargo and No Country for Old Men both have a lot of fantastic dark humor. Yeah, No Country for Old Men is, it's just, it's, it's just beyond anything, man. It's, it's my favorite movie ever. Uh, obviously I want to save most of my thoughts for when we actually talk about No Country, but it's probably, it's definitely the the odd one out in their filmography. Like, No Country for Old Men is very serious, uh, very grim. It does not really have the more straightforward humor or quirk of their other movies. But, uh, yeah, I think that the Coen brothers are absolutely amazing. Uh, they've broken up as a duo they haven't broken up like they got into a fight or anything they've just decided to go their separate ways as a directing duo but um ethan cohen ethan no i think it's joel cohen joel cohen is still directing movies uh he made an adaptation of the tragedy of macbeth that i saw this year that i absolutely loved so i'm still absolutely 100 there for cohen brothers or just Cohen, a Cohen brother movie. Um, and I'm, I only have three movies left of theirs to see. Unfortunately, they're the ones that people most often cite as being not their best works, but I'm going to finish out their filmography because I absolutely love their movies for the most part. And, uh, yeah, it's again, it's hard to really express what they're what they're doing but i am i'm a hundred percent here for it so uh yeah I, I know they're more of a mixed bag for you but uh give, give us your thoughts on the coen brothers yeah uh, i think at their worst i think the coen brothers are just i find their movies just boring and pointless and pointless, I say, as pointless to me that I just, like Inside Lewin Davis and The Big Lebowski, I just really don't resonate with kind of what they're doing in either of those movies. And so it just becomes a bit of a slog, in my opinion. But 
I can see what you're sort of saying. I do want to see a serious man. And I do think No Country for Old Men is one of the best adaptations of a book, just in terms of bringing the vibe of a book to the screen. I don't think you're ever going to get closer to the vibe of a Cormac McCarthy book than you do in the Coen Brothers' No Country for Old Men, even though I have issues with that film too. But yeah, I think the best Coen Brothers movies are very fun, very funny. I just, uh, a lot of times they're just really weird for no reason. I think Barton Fink is an example of that as well. (laughs) But yeah, so I guess, uh, what's your recommendation for someone who wants to watch a Coen Brothers movie if they have to? Well, my ultimate recommendation is obviously No Country for Old Men. That's like my ultimate movie recommendation, (laughs) period. No Country for Old Men is my favorite movie of all time. There's not a single thing that I dislike about it. The performances are spectacular. The action is incredibly tense. The humor is pitch perfect, dark, uh, really good at adding these moments of levity. The characters are all so interesting and layered, and they do such a good job of communicating the movie's themes. Roger Deakins, he is he is the man in this movie. He is he is shooting the heck out of it. Yeah, just you just watch No Country for Old Men. Stop listening to this episode right now. Get No Country for Old Men in your nearest DVD player and start watching. Wow, <laughs> wow, what a what a recommendation! All right. Uh, Now it's my turn, and we're going incredibly pretentious again. This is the 90s to early 2000s Hong Kong native master worker Wong Kar Wai is my next director pick. I don't expect a huge number of people to have seen a lot of his movies. His... Masterpiece, what most people would consider his greatest movie, was released in 2000 called In the Mood for Love. A lot of his movies are a similar style to In the Mood for Love, like such as uh, Chungking Express, um, 2047, Days of Being Wild, Happy Together. Really what I think is fantastic about Wong Kar Wai's movies is I think it would be a mischaracterization that I see a lot about his movies is that they're love movies or love stories in movies. And I think what it's more, what his movies are more about is the feeling of being in love or the feeling of wanting to be in love, that his characters are all, his movies are very much kind of vignettes of characters who are missing something they feel like they're missing something and they try something in the film to fill that void but most of the times because his movies are a bit of a bummer it doesn't work out and so they end with very sad characters having to accept the fact that there's just something missing in their life but i think his movies are really fantastic i think they evoke emotion in a way that's very interesting and certainly works for me, at least. I think they're very impressionistic, which is to say that they are more about the feeling of a thing than necessarily depicting the thing itself, that he sometimes will move the camera away from where the action is to instead convey 
a feeling that the action is supposed to be bringing to the viewer. And so I think his movies are really fantastic. None of them are super long. So I think even if you find it really boring and pretentious, uh, it only lasts like 90 minutes. So it's not a bad thing, but I find his movies really fantastic. And just the vibes are just immaculate, I think. Uh, I don't think Elliot is a huge fan of this director, so let's see uh, what he complains about now. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Now, sometimes sometimes something about a movie just doesn't work for you, and even if it's a minor part of it, it just gets stuck in your craw, and you can never get over it. And the opening 15 minutes of Chunking Express is such an example that's a terrible sentence. But yeah, mm-hmm. the most pointless opening 15 minutes to a movie in cinematic history. It's literally just an entirely separate story to the actual movie that it's ridiculous. I and the it's not like the rest of the movie is even bad. It's a pretty good movie for the rest of the movie, but the entire rest of the time I was watching it, I was like, "Wait, why are we not getting back to what happened at the beginning? What's going on? Why does this matter? <sighs> I don't understand. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I think about that movie. Um, In the Mood for Love, I don't know. I just, for, for whatever reason, didn't really connect with it. Like, I can barely remember anything about it. I remember that one of them was married. What, wasn't the woman already married? They were both already married. Yeah, so it's like forbidden love or something. That's fine if that's your thing. Uh, no, yeah, Nathan's not, shaking no. his head because he's he's invented some alternate alternate reading <laughs> that justifies his appreciation of the movie. Uh, but, you know, we don't need to talk about him and his delusions. Yeah, just for whatever reason, I didn't really connect with In the Mood for Love. I think those are the only two movies of his that I've seen. So, unfortunately, I, I cannot second this recommendation. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't really see what Nathan sees in these movies, but as usual, that that's fine. It's just Nathan, ha- something about these movies speak to Nathan. So, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't watch uh, Wong Kar Wai's movies. Uh, just saying that they're not for me. But, you know, it's uh, movie watching is a subjective experience. So, Nathan, what's what's your ultimate Wong Kar Wai recommendation? I keep on almost saying Park Chan Wok, but that's a different guy. <laughs> he's pretty good, too, although he's a bit more inconsistent, I think. Um, my ultimate recommendation, after you just dissed the movie, is In the Mood for Love. I think if you like this movie, you'll definitely like his other movies. It was the first of his that I saw. And it made me want to see his other ones. And yeah, usually, like Elliot said, the two main characters in the film are both married at the outset of the film. But that's where, again, I would say the movie is less about them falling in love and more about these things that they feel they're missing and that they feel are being met in this other person. I think it's a testament to the movie that I like it because typically one of my pet peeves in like rom-coms and stuff like that is when they are already in a relationship when they start falling in love with the other person. Cause I think then the movie ends up treating cheating as kind of a whatever thing. Whereas I think it 
should be addressed with maybe some more severity. So I think it's a testament to how well the movie handles it and how good the movie is that I think, despite that aspect that typically annoys me, I still really like this movie. And yeah, In the Mood for Love is a really fantastic piece of film that my dad called a bit too artsy for his taste. So that's <laughs> me mentioning dad again since he was upset. All right, Elliot, your final number one director. Yep, my number one director. We've already mentioned it before. Uh, it's Christopher Nolan. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Nolan, I think... Uh, what, what, what can I even say, man? Christopher Nolan's movies are so, so good. Um, I think that he does such a fantastic job of taking heady, complex themes um, and sometimes heady, complex subject matter, as in, uh, you know, the advanced astrophysics of Interstellar, and not only making them accessible and understandable to the average viewer, but also marrying them to stories that are so thrilling and smart and they just they just absolutely hit the spot for me. So let's let's run them down. Following that's a great movie. I really like it. Um, that's one of my recommendations. Memento. We've already talked about it. Fantastic movie. Insomnia. Not on the same level as the rest of his stuff, but I think there's there's definitely um, merit to Insomnia. Batman Begins. Very solid comic book movie. Started off a great trilogy. The Prestige, fantastic movie uh, about these two feuding magicians. Uh, it's really creative, really unique story, and I think it's it's really good. It's got a great twist. The Dark Knight, we've already talked about. Inception, that's it's just incredible. Just an incredible movie, visually, narratively. Uh, it's got it's got everything. Dark Knight Rises, yep. Interstellar, that's a fantastic movie that gets better for me every time I watch it. Dunkirk, great war movie. Definitely an example of how Christopher Nolan, like Stanley Kubrick, can make a genre his own. So the thing about Nolan movies is that they often play with time in a way that I think is very uh, satisfying and very clever. I know that s some people don't love those aspects of his movies. I think that they, I think that he handles them in such a way that they always enhance the story or usually en enhance the story. Uh, Tenet is pretty good. It's very Nolan-y, Nolan. Um, it's not my favorite, but I think that the action is fantastic and the way that it uses the time reversal in its cinematography, I think, leads to some great shots and some great moments. And yeah, I, Christopher Nolan, for me, he's the whole package. I think that the writing in his movies is always fantastic. Uh, I love the themes that he, that he plays around with. I love the way that he messes around with time. I always think it's so satisfying to watch his movies that are more, I don't know, more experimental or more, 
the ones that do the most with different times, so like Memento and The Prestige and to a lesser extent Dunkirk, I think it's so satisfying to watch it all come together. Uh, and yeah, his camera work is always on point. His vision, his, he's a visionary, you know, that's what they always say uh, in the trailers, the visionary director. And I couldn't be more excited for Oppenheimer. Anytime Christopher Nolan makes a movie, I'm there. And I've seen all of his mainstream movies. I've seen all of his, you know, wide-released movies. And uh, yeah, Nathan, I know that Nolan ha is a very special director to you as well. So let's, let's have it. Yeah, I love Christopher Nolan. He's also the fifth person on my list. Whoa! Whoa! All right. And yeah, for a lot of the reasons Elliot said, I don't know if I said it when I was bringing up Billy Wilder, but I think making movies accessible, I don't think every movie needs to be accessible, but I think it's so fantastic when a director can take large ideas and make them accessible for everyone. And I think that's something Nolan does to the nth degree. I love all, uh, most of his movies. I don't love Insomnia or Dark Knight Rises, but I love most of his movies. And I think as he continues moving forward, making movies, I'm really excited to see if he keeps twisting things and playing with more genres. Cause I think Dunkirk is a really fantastic movie that shows what he's capable of when he escapes just sci-fi that's about time or something like that, or, you know, the typical genre tropes that we see him playing with. So I'm also really excited for Oppenheimer, and I would echo a lot of the things Elliot said, that I think Nolan's a bit of a maybe basic pick, but the basic picks are basic for a reason because they're really fantastic. I mean, Kubrick's a basic pick, but he's also one of the best to ever do it, so... I love Nolan. Yeah. So let's, uh, now we'll each give our Nolan recommendation, which I don't know. <laughs> kind of hard to do. Okay. Ultimate Nolan recommendation will probably be the dark Knight, Since we've already talked about that, I'm going to forego it and say ultimate Nolan recommendation is probably inception, which is probably the ultimate Nolan movie by which I mean, it's probably the most Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan movie. Great structure, really creative uh, plot. I remember the first time we watched it, we had to pause it for some reason. I think we were watching it with Dad, and he had to go to the bathroom or something. There you go, Dad. There's a shout-out for you. Um, <laughs> Another shout-out. <laughs> and uh, Nathan and I were talking about it, and we agreed that it was a movie that just oozed cool. It's just a cool movie. Really cool ideas, really cool... Uh, characters, performances are great. The hallway scene, the hallway fight scene, uh, is fantastic. And everyone who's ever seen that mo that scene and knows the story behind it, like how they did it, uh, I think you should find that out for yourself. But yeah, great movie. Um, yeah, I just watch Inception, man. Just watch it. Yeah, I. I think Inception is basically perfect. It's probably in my top five movies of all time. Since Elliot stole that, I'd say my ultimate Nolan recommendation, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I think Dunkirk, I think everyone should see it. I think it's a really fantastic play on a war movie and just 
movies in general. It's very far outside of what he typically, not very far, but it's reasonably far outside of what he typically does. And it's just a really fantastic movie. I remember seeing it in theaters and then we went to, I think we went to Fazoli's afterwards. What a great day that was. <laughs> but we we went as a family and we were all, I was really amazed by it. I think a lot of the typical Nolan critiques for his other movies don't apply to Dunkirk. And so I think for that reason, if maybe you've seen some of his movies and you thought they were a bit unemotional or you thought they were maybe confusing, I think Dunkirk's a fantastic pick to watch. Not that it's not confusing, but it's significantly more emotional than his other films can be. Yeah. Dunkirk is a great pick. And, uh, yeah, Nathan needs to go. Mom is moving around the house, uh, pointedly. I think she wants to come back to the living room. So let's very quickly wrap this up. Thank you for listening. Life is hard and full of disappointments. Uh, we'll be back next week. This episode might be up a bit late because Nathan's busy and I haven't written the description yet, or I mean, our description writer hasn't written the description yet. Sorry. Um, uh, the guy we pay hundreds of dollars to write yeah, for us. Yeah, who we, who we pay in lieu of paying Jake for doing the introduction. We pay this guy to do uh, descriptions. Yeah. So yeah, Nathan, do you have anything else to say? Uh, no, just uh, this is a lot of fun. 20 episodes under our belt. Uh, we get better every time, I think. That's what I hear from the voices in my head. And... Uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with a regular movie review. Uh, I think it's going to be a horror movie for Halloween, so be excited for that. And yeah, this was uh, a great a great time as usual. <laughs> All the voices in my head do is tell me to not eat vegetables. <laughs> That's bizarre, Elliot. <laughs>